Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clown. I'm joined by two members of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers tonight, including Zaki Hassan. Greetings. And Cicero Holmes. Scotty has been taking me around the Enterprise for the last 45 minutes, and <laughs> damn, I'm tired. <laughs> oh, man. That's very, very well said. Um, that is the topic of discussion today, the primary topic of discussion, because um, we haven't been able to get together before then, but back on September the 15th, uh, Fathom Events held a special 40th anniversary screening around the country of none other than Star Trek, the motion picture. And uh, it's a movie I'm very familiar with. All of us are very familiar with it, obviously, but it was my personal first time seeing it on the big screen. And uh, I thought that it might just kind of be fun to, to get the panel together and talk about it. But uh, before we do that, since it's been a while since we've all gotten together, let's check in with how our panel is doing. Zaggy, what have you been up to, man? I've been keeping uh, uh, very busy with the work and travel, and my Star Trek rewatch uh, is continuing along wherever I can. I'm I'm up into the second season of Voyager, and uh, that's concurrent with I think the yeah, it's the fourth season of, of Deep Space. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just watched uh, I think it's called Cold Fire. Oh, I don't remember that. I don't one. remember that one. That's, that's a Voyager episode with Gary Graham as another Ocumpen, and he teaches Kess how to how to boil people's blood, and she oh, like, yes. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yeah, wow. <laughs> well, okay, so that inevitably leads me to how your perception of Voyager continues to shake up, because I remember uh, when you first got into it, you were kind of warming to it from at least from what your previous perception was yeah. is the warming continuing or has it plateaued yeah man it's just it's like you know i i i'm enjoying jumping back and forth between them like at this point i've i've imbibed deep space nine multiple times so for me the fun of that is like well this is a show i love and i get to watch it with my kids uh and then when we have a voyager it's like hey here's a star trek i haven't seen you know sure yeah, uh, and and I just and you know I mean it's like anything. There's some are better than others, and I think even Voyager, up through where we're at now, second season, you know, some of them are are hit harder than others. Uh, but it's like I, I for the most part I like the characters. Uh, I can see why people generally dislike Neelix because a, a little does go a long way. <laughs> Uh, but you know, I it's it's I I I think I said this last time. You know, my my second my ten year old. Uh, he's like, oh yeah, I like I like Voyager better than than Deep Space Nine. So he's he's uh, he's all all about that Voyager life. I think that's an understandable perspective given his age. I mean, he I he, he very well could change that perception if he decides to continue watching the franchise. But yeah, it it certainly seems more friendly to uh, to to someone of 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 that age considering yeah. that they just kind of go out and have crazy adventures and then apparently eventually get mutated into lizards when they cross the transwarp <laughs> I I will be skipping. You know, you know I will say this though and this, this is only tangentially connected but I think it, it is applicable in some way. Um the just the other day my my wife was telling me that she was talking to one of the parents of um the other kids in, in my, on my kids boy scout troop, you know? Mm-hmm. And so this, her son is, um, he's, he's on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so he sees a therapist and whatever. And so, so his mom comes and pulls my wife and says, she's like, I need to talk to you about something. And my wife's like, Oh my God, what? And she's like, you know, my son, you know, he talks to his therapist and the therapist is like, how are people treating you? Whatever. And, and, um, this kid, he, he he's, tells his therapist, he says, uh, one person is always kind to me, and that's Mikhail. That's my son. You know, he's, he's in my troop with me, and he always takes time to talk to me. He's always nice to me. And um, 
you know, my wife tells me this and, and I had the thought, which I didn't bother telling her, but I'm telling you guys, I'm like, I'd like to believe that that's at least partly a result of this Trek life that I'm trying to walk them through, you know? If, if Uh, I'm, if I may, sir, yes, I will say that you are correct because you have lived that Trek life and you have instructed your children and they are following in, in the footsteps and the pathway that you have set before them. And that has been informed um, in no small part by the Star Trek universe. Well said. We should Thank all you. be so lucky. Yes. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Well, Cicero, what are you yes. doing up to, man? Uh, so, uh, unlike, uh, I am, I am reverse Zachy. Uh, I am, <laughs> um, you know, he's wearing red and yellow and I'm wearing yellow and red. Um, <laughs> and, um, Zachy is uh, Hulk Hogan and you're Hollywood Hogan. That is right? correct. Yeah. yeah sucker. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I so, something, brother. Right. <laughs> All right, brothers, let me tell you. So I, um, so unlike Zachy, who is doing a broadcast order rewatch, I am doing my de facto broadcast reverse order rewatch. Oh, you are. Or Star Trek of Star Trek shows. So, uh, I am now in the third season of Deep Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Um, and, uh, the thing that I realized again is so Deep Space Nine came out about the same time it premiered in my senior year of high school, but it really started to catch its rhythm as I was in college with without the ability to to stick around and, and stay very engaged in it. And I've over the years, I've definitely dabbled in and out of the show. Um, and 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 was able to appreciate its greatness even with the the limited amount of knowledge that I had of the show. And now I am actually getting a chance to watch it in its entirety as it was meant to be watched. Um, and I'm really starting to appreciate it for what it is. But the thing that I think we attribute, um, the reasons that we attribute uh, Deep Space Nine as to being the best version of all of these Star Trek shows up into, and, you know, depending on how it winds up discovery um, hasn't really happened yet. So I, I think, I think we're getting to the point where that is starting to happen. And that is the serialized nature of deep space nine. Mm-hmm. Um up until, you know, through the first two seasons, spoilers for those people who haven't watched DS9 yet, um, the first two seasons are very serialized. They, they they have set, you know, in the first couple of episodes, they set up for everyone who, you know, who the principal players are, the setting, um, the the hook, which is the wormhole and, and the access to the gamut quadrant. Um, all of those things are kind of set up. But then after those things are set up in the first couple of episodes and actually in the very first double size episode, um, you can kind of dive in. You can jump in and jump out wherever you want for over the first two or three episodes. And you can watch that episode in a vacuum um, and and really walk away fulfilled. But it, it's not until, you know, I don't I, I think that. DS9 really kind of gets its legs when it has this, when it starts to become more serialized, where, where, you know, you've got these three or four or five episode arcs that are happening where, where, uh, you know, like you really need to stay tuned and, and, and stay involved in what's going on. And, and I, you know, I think, um, there was something that, uh, they talked about in what we left behind. Uh, the amazing documentary uh, that came out about uh, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Now available um, on Blu-ray. That is correct, sir. Uh, check your uh, your local Blu-ray distributor. <laughs> um, <laughs> the th- they talk about um, how Avery Brooks was not allowed to. Um, uh, I guess adorn himself, adorn himself the way that he felt most comfortable. Right. Um, Which is, which is 
with facial hair and no head hair, you know, bald with a goatee. Um, and, and instead he was, uh, you know, low cropped, low cropped haircut, uh, with, with no naked facial hair and that, you know, he, he didn't feel comfortable in, in that, in that way. And I, I, the thing that I started to realize as I'm, as I'm watching the show and you can, you can always attribute, uh, a, a lots of, uh, knowledge after the fact, of course, right? Like the, the thing that I, <laughs> that I attribute that to is, and I think it's kind of apropos is, Avery Brooks's uh, physical appearance didn't change um, until the Deep Space Nine audience was um, comfortable with him and also until the Deep Space Nine writers and creators were comfortable with themselves in the show. And like there was a proving time not only for uh Avery Brooks as as the lead as the the number one person on a call sheet being a person of color on that show and how those dynamics worked with him being a father a single father and you know all of the things that came along with that i think all of those things were were proving moments for themselves and for the show but also for him as as an actor for this genre um, and then once they felt like they successfully did that, everything changed. So his his physical appearance changed and the type of show it was changed. Once they realized that they had their people hooked, they had them sunk in, then it really dramatically changed into the show that we know and love. Very, very well expressed. Yeah, I think that that's... Um they they did very much try and drive that point home in the documentary, but the 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 way that you express that is very much appreciated and all the more appropriate because the night we're recording this is October second, which actually marks Mister Brooks's seventy first birthday. So happy uh, birthday, Mister Brooks! Happy man. birthday to to wow. Avery Brooks. Um, before we move on to the primary discussion, uh, we also do have to mention that there was some. Uh, sad news in the the world of the Star Trek universe uh, relatively recently with the passing of actor Aaron Eisenberg, who played Nog on on Deep Space Nine, did such a f- phenomenal job. And, and Cicero, in a way, I envy you because you could be very well absorbing some of the most memorable and kind of heart-wrenching episodes that feature that character in particular. Right. And uh, – and I was I was devastated to hear the news of of Mr. Eisenberg. I never had the chance to meet him, but I know a whole lot of people who have, and they always say that he was extraordinarily gracious whenever people would meet him at conventions, and uh, he just seemed like a, a a good quality human being who lived that Trek life as well. And uh, and I'm I'm sorry now that I'm never going to get the chance to meet him. But uh, Zachy, what did you make of of hearing the news of of Mr. Eisenberg's passing? So he was someone who um, I was connected to on Facebook and Twitter, and I had interacted with him, you know, I mean, not a lot, but, a, you know, a fair amount. Mm-hmm. And he he uh, always struck me as, as uh, being very genuine, and I found his reflections on playing the role that, that he expresses in the documentary very moving. You know, he has moved to tears uh, at times, and you can see why being identified with the character like Nog would mean so much uh, to someone who had to deal with the health and physical struggles that he had. Uh, and I will say in this, this, I mean, apropos of nothing, I guess, but I mean, this past Saturday I'm driving along and I'm like, you know, I should, I should just DM him and see about getting him on my, on my nostalgia theater show. And I just like, I was like, yeah, you know, uh, when I get a chance, I'm going to do that. And then I wake up Sunday morning. Oh, to I think it was James Cauley on Facebook was like, oh, I just got word that Aaron Eisenberg died, and I'm like, holy moly! You know, I mean, it's it's I I wouldn't even bring this up except for the synchronicity of that happening exactly as I sure. said it. Right, right, sure. Uh, and it's obviously, I mean, uh, it he he was a role model on that show, but for whatever it's worth, he will continue to be a role model on that show. Nog uh, will never die, and as such, neither will Aaron Eisenberg. Absolutely. 
Very well said. Um, well, I think everybody, uh, we all send our thoughts to Mr. Eisenberg's friends and family, and uh, we're sorry to see him go, but he leaves behind yeah. one incredible legacy. Cicero? Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to say that uh, in in what we left behind, you can really see uh, the love and the passion that he had for the role. Um, and, and usually what happens when you have these retrospectives um, about um, – a show that has lasted for a long period of time, um, a show where where uh, the fandom is is still very very um, vocal and active, even years after the show has ended, you'll get and especially when you have an ensemble cast, right. you will have usually you will have uh, actors in two disparate camps. You'll have the guys that it was the best time of their lives. They love interacting with the fans. They love the recognition of it. And they, they, um, you know, think wistfully of those days, um, that they had on set and, and, you know, it was the best time of their lives. And then there was the other camp where, Hey, look, the, you know, it was a gig and, Going to these conventions is another gig, but I really wish I could just remain a working actor and have other things that people remember me for as opposed to just this one role. Um, Aaron Eisenberg was definitely part of the latter group or part of the former group as opposed to the latter group. And, um, you know, you could tell how, like, as, as Zachy said, how passionate, how passionate he was about, um, the the performance that he put forth um as nog and and what the creators and the writers and the costume people were able to create for him so that he could use that as a vehicle to create and inspire and to entertain us uh, the fans as that character. And he, you know, it was the best times of his life. And he was definitely one of those people who really, really, really enjoyed um, seeing the joy in everyone else's faces. And, and, you know, those are the best, those are the best damn people. And we lost a great one. Yeah. And, you know, rest in power. Man. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, yeah, with, with that, uh, love and thoughts to Mr. Eisenberg's friend and f- friends and family. But let's move along to our discussion uh, revolving around the theatrical exhibition for the 40th anniversary of Star Trek The Motion Picture. So let's kind of go through uh, briefly for, for each of us our stories of first encountering this movie and whether or not that involved going to the theater. Uh, Zaggy, why don't we start with you? Did you see this movie in the theater? Uh, Initially, no. I I beat this movie into the world by two Ah, months. Yes. (laughs) That'll do it. Uh, However, yeah, that, that did, however, have the effect of uh, really because of my older brother who's, who, you know, he was five years older than me. Uh, and he was a Star Trek fan. Uh, it, it is the vehicle that introduced Star Trek into my life, uh, pretty much from the jump. And and I've told this story elsewhere that, you know, I grew up watching TJ Hooker. Mm -hmm. And so my my brother would be like, Oh, this is TJ Hooker in space. That's Captain Hooker. And, and I was like, all right, you know, because I'm like, well, my brother wouldn't lie to me, you know, and I still give him shit about that to this day. But like, I mean, that's just, that's, I always like the motion picture was my introduction to Star Trek. The Wrath of Khan is what turned me into a Star Trek mm-hmm. fan. I sure. Say. Excellent. Sure. Cicero, did you see this movie in the theater? So I did see this movie in the theater. Um, but so uh, the, Back in the day, guys, um, back in the olden times, movies used to movies used to stay in theaters not for weeks, not for months, but sometimes for years. And and I was able to see. I think I saw this movie in the movie theater, and probably in 1981 after this film was released in 1979. I 
I distinctly have memories of being in the movie theater and having seen this film and having an understanding of Star Trek at that time, which is incomprehensible to me. Um, so 1981, I was about five years old. I was born in 76, so I'm an old guy. Um, but uh, my understanding of Star Trek was, was you know, was very, very nascent at that point. Um, and then seeing this film helped none. In fact, it probably hurt some because it was just such, such a weird film. And, and you know, I'm sure we'll get to some anecdotes that I, I shared with Chris. I was lucky enough to, to uh, travel down to close to where Chris and Rachel are. And we all got to see the film together. Um, and I told him stories about what my memories of this film were. Um, and, and they're ridiculous. Um, but, but, you know, ridiculous in only the way that a five or six year old could, could actually muster up. And, um, ironically, I had not, I don't have a memory of watching the film since until we went to go see it a few weeks ago. Quite a disparity, you might gotcha. say. Um, you know, I, you, you could say (laughs) it's really, really difficult for me to try and track the first time that I saw this movie. Uh, I just missed it in the theater in 1987 after I was born. Um, you know, just, just by about a decade, it's only about a hair, but, uh, you know, (laughs) it's the, it was one of the TV series that introduced me to Star Trek, but Star Trek has been a part of my life for so long that I just don't really remember much of my introduction to it. Uh, Star Trek, the motion picture as a kid, I mean, the first time I saw it, we had a 25th anniversary VHS tape set of the first five movies. Uh, and they all like the, the sides of the boxes all came together to form an image of the enterprise. Yeah. You know? yeah it, was, it, was, it was great. And, um, the thing that sticks out to me as a kid watching Star Trek the motion picture is that I was always terrified of Commander Sonak dying in the transporter. Oh, and sure. watching it in the theater, it did not go over much better. I think it's just the sound, which I think they changed in the director's edition, but the, yeah, slightly. but the sound was always just so unnerving to me. I had the same kind of problem with all the skeletons in Raiders of the Lost Ark the noises that they sure. make, which they then also cycle in uh, to the Indiana Jones ride in Disneyland, which, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, my, I mean, my first experience with Star Trek, the motion picture was on VHS and I've been fortunate enough now, instead of going, you know, from the theater. And, and, and yeah. Chris, that, that was the extended, that was the TV edition. I actually don't, know if if it was or not maybe that was the only version that they released into that box set yes i believe the version in that box set was the was the expanded cut not the tv not the director's Mm -hmm. edition but the expanded well and so when i was a kid too like i didn't really make much of a distinction between the tones of the first and second movies it was just all star trek to Mm -hmm. me same thing with Batman. You know, Adam West was Batman, so was Michael Keaton, so was Kevin Conroy. All of that stuff was just kind of lumped together uh, the, in the minds of babes. But um, I've been fortunate enough now over the course of my life to actually see Star Trek the motion picture get better uh, in terms of its visual fidelity and quality. And I got to see the director's edition, full. the full marketing force of Paramount was behind it for about five minutes, which was cool. And, and, um, my appreciation for the movie only grows as I get older. So the idea of seeing it on the big screen was very, very enticing. Uh, the the only other old Star Trek movie that I've seen on the big screen, and I say old just because it's the original crew, not because people are old who have seen it in the theater. Please don't make that mistake. Uh, I saw I, I saw Star Trek Six, but I was a very young kid, and I don't remember it. So the only other one that I've seen in the theater besides now the motion picture was Star Trek Two, which also came to theaters in a Fathom event a couple of years ago. Uh, the director's edition of that film, I believe. And the I guess just transitioning to talking about the theatrical experience of watching this movie, 
the theater does this movie a lot of favors. And this is from someone who generally likes the movie. Like I have no problem sitting through an hour of enterprise porn. You know, I, I, right. I really like that scene. <laughs> the music is beautiful. And, um, and I'm taken along an emotional journey because I have such a strong affinity and connection to that ship, uh, just in my heart. So I, I love seeing all that stuff and the theatrical exhibition, there aren't a whole lot of movies where I can say, oh, the movie was meant to be seen in the theater. But I do believe that Star Trek, the motion picture falls under that category. And I was amazed at how easy it was for me to go along for the ride because it didn't seem nearly as long as it seemed in some past viewings. And, um, the, the joke, like our theater wasn't very full Cicero, but all the jokes landed with everybody that was there. And it seemed like the humor came through a little bit more somehow when watching it in the theater, but also just the scale of it is perfectly suited to a theater. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so Zachy, uh, when you went in to see it this time in the theater, because you obviously know this movie very well. You and Glenn Greenberg did an exhaustive commentary over the director's edition for uh, for one of your other podcasts. What's it like actually sitting in the theater for the 40th anniversary at this point to watch, albeit the theatrical edition, but still Star Trek the motion picture on the big screen? Yes. Well, so so actually our commentary was for the theatrical. Oh, it was. Uh, oh, yeah. Only, and much to Glenn's chagrin because <laughs> he's a – booster of the director's cut but uh, you know the theatrical cut is pretty much the only version available via streaming and, and uh, blu-ray so i was like well that this is what we're doing glenn so i i actually i bought him the the blu-ray like the theatrical cut on blu-ray and sent it to him because he didn't own it and he didn't want it. I was like, Here. <laughs> there's a little for you but uh, no yeah i know this movie front back and sideways i mean i have watched it since I was a little kid and um, like, I remember being, you know, like nine or 10 and sort of doing that. The, 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 the dialogue has changed at the end. You know, what more is there than the universe? Other planes of existence, higher levels of being the existence of which can help improve much. <laughs> I can do the things since I was a kid, you know? So I have always had a deep well of affinity for this film, gorgeous effects, uh, the music score is like one of the greatest in history, not just Star Trek history. And uh, so for me, uh, like you, you know, I, I, I went to the Star Trek two screening a couple years ago. And unfortunately, you know, the only one of the original batch that I was able to go to in the theater upon release was number five. And so I'm trying to avail myself whenever I can watch these uh, on the big screen. And the great thing for me is honestly a, a broken record by now with you guys, but I get to share it with my kids. Um, they, and they've seen all these movies, but I'm like, hey guys, they're releasing Star Trek one in the theater. You want to come? Hey man, oh, yeah, hey, go, hey, know? never and- stop saying that. Never stop saying that because you know, <laughs> at, a, at a certain point, your kids will always be your kids, but they'll stop being children. And and you know what? Yeah, it, it, these are the things that they are going to remember. And if you can pass this on to other people that are listening, um, you know, there, there are people that haven't had children yet. These are important lessons that they hmm. need to learn that you, you can share beautiful, positive uh, passions of yours with them. And these are things they will never forget. They're immeasurably important and, and priceless memories. Wow, you know, I mean, that—that's, that, I mean, that's it. That it it it's meaningful for me to to watch this with them because I'm I'm like, hey, I get to share something I love with them. But yeah, I mean, to to your point, that I mean, you know, my I mean, my oldest is is, you know, at a point now. Like I remember being twelve, going on thirteen, and watching Next Generation every Saturday or whatever. So it it is something that has now been passed along, and so. The, the, to echo Chris, your point, I mean, it having seen this movie a zillion times, it felt brand new watching it in the theater. Mm. Uh, 
you know, it, it just, it's, it was so immersive and, and it was funny cause I posted about it on social media and people are like, Oh, I'm watching this now. And people respond like, Oh, like, it's a lot of money to pay for a match. Or you know, like, it's pretty funny. But I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I'm not a hater of this film. I cannot hate Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Fully acknowledging its flaws, and there are a few. Um, but it's like when you when you look like Star Trek Two, and Nick Meyer has said the Star Trek Two would not have existed in the way that it existed if Star Trek: The Motion Picture did not sure. make some of the mistakes that it made. Sure. Right? But even with those mistakes, man, I mean it's it is it 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 has it has aspirations. It's trying to do something. It's trying to be something. And the 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 one regret I have as a Star Trek fan is I never got to experience the movie the way the fans of the era did. Which was here's this thing that we've been hoping and praying would actually happen. And Oh my God, it's here. And we're in the theater watching it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I, 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 you know, I, I said this in my, in my retro review that I wrote about this movie like 10 years ago. I'm like, what must it have been like to be a Star Trek fan and see that first shot where like, um, uh, Captain Kirk's, uh, you know, the, the train, the train pulls in, you just see his face through the window and then the door opens. You're like, Holy crap, this Captain Kirk in a movie theater, you know? That's huge. So uh, a lot of affinity for this movie. Yeah, excellent. Very well said. Yes. Well, Cicero, uh, long time between theatrical yes. uh, exhibitions. Almost 40 and, years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a little, little bit of, uh, of life events have taken place That's in that correct. intervening period. Um <laughs> But also, it, it sounds like you hadn't seen the movie itself in a long time. So, well, it, how does so it, sit it, with it you? definitely sits much better. There are a couple of things that I took away from um, from this film, uh, having actually watched it and being able to process it now, instead of being a kindergartner watching this film. <laughs> um, and, and 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 one of the things that that I really walked away from. Uh, walked away with appreciation of was the interpretation that Carl Urban put on Bones. And I felt like Hmm. he watched this film and then used this film as his reference for how he was going to play Dr. McCoy. The good doctor is particularly yes, grumpy yes. In and, this and and I feel like I just felt like, oh man, like this was like DeForest Kelly uh went to Carl Urban in a dream in his sleep and was like, channel, watch this film. And 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 he fully embodied that. And that was that was one of the things that was just like, oh man, is this like DeForest Kelly trying to play Carl Urban trying to play himself? Like I like this was it was so weird for me. Um having having watched that and I've really appreciated that. And then the other thing was when I saw this film initially, um I didn't remember, I mean, I didn't remember a lot of things and I'll go over the things that I did remember, which I think are hilarious. Um, but, uh, what I didn't remember was the prolonged, um, almost erotic version of the, <laughs> of the enterprise, you know, to kind of on the unfurling of the enterprise that went on forever. And the reason I didn't remember. It's, uh, you know, uh, sister. You know, you know what Glenn called it. He says it's it's a wedding. It's yes, Kirk, yes, yes. Uh, seeing yes. his bride. So, <laughs> um, and he got to see every nook and cranny of that bride. Um, yeah. the, the dry dock <laughs> is the veil. That's funny. Like um, that. But oh, yeah, so the, I didn't remember uh, as a five year old that scene being that long. Um, but but what I what I realized now, of course, is that we were watching the director's cut, and so the theatrical cut that I actually got to see in theaters wasn't as long as as the one that we saw. Um, 
The other thing that that I took away from this film, and these are just these are very very kind of like surface things that I think are 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 significant, um, which is that like like Zachy, like you said, the score was just so great. The score for this film, I I can't even imagine what you could have been like if you were a Star Trek fan and you were there opening night, opening week, opening month, opening year, um, going to see this film and hearing a score so dramatically different from the show that you loved, that you know and love. Mm. Now, as as fans of Next Generation, as fan, uh, you know, uh, as modern day Star Trek fans, this is the theme song that we know, you know, especially people that, you know, most of the Star Trek fans that are, are listening to the show um, are, are people that that grew up or at least have uh, some affinity and some love for Star Trek The Next Generation. This, of course, was the theme for that show. But this theme was introduced right here and it was so mm-hmm. dramatically different than anything that anyone had ever heard in in connection with Star Trek, like how bold a decision that must have been to to come out with this theme, and 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 it was, I mean, demonstrably the right choice, right? Like it, it like it's just it was everything, and you can't imagine Star Trek uh, as at a theatrical level um, without it. Um, or Star Trek in in a modern way without it, and even even you know as as great as I think the themes are for the uh, for the newer films, I don't think they hit the same way that that theme did. Um, you know, and and it, like I it just that's the the entirety of the score was great, and they, and they and they definitely took the time to bring the the classic uh, TOS theme into the film and they brought it in, in, in great moments. And, and they, they were really smart about that. Um, it, it, so it was just, it was great watching this film and having my dots connected. So I I've been teasing this for a second. I'm going to now explain to all of the people, all of the debrief listeners, what Cicero Holmes with five-year-old Cicero Holmes remembered of Star Trek, the motion picture. So uh, young Cicero Holmes remembered uh, that uh, there was um, a a guy in a yellow spacesuit floating around in space for some reason. Um, at some point, the, everybody was was on the bridge of the Enterprise, and things got really weird. And then there was a guy, and he was fighting with 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 uh, Mister Spock and Captain Kirk, and for whatever reason, and there was a bald woman, and I don't know why that bald woman was around. And then Mister Spock was in a red spacesuit outside for some reason, and at the end, uh, the bald woman and and that weird guy who was fighting with Captain Kirk kiss. The end. That. <laughs> That was the movie, <laughs> right? That was that, that was the movie. Covered the highlight, um, and it was just it was just such a weird movie. But what was what was funny? Like my takeaway as an adult was like, oh, this movie was really like. Uh, the movie sh- could have been called an episode of Star Trek, and it was just like uh, Commander Decker and his and his quest for international, str- you know, intergalactic strange. Like that, it was just, <laughs> it was just like what a, what a crazy, crazy like movie version of an episode. Like if we could take, um. If we could take an episode and and magnify it to a a like to a motion picture status, take something some original idea and magnify it to a motion picture status, and we had a motion picture budget, what would we make? And this is what we got. This is what uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture I think really really is. And I think that's one of the things that I find so. Uh, 
kind of charming about it is that it's it's uncompromising in its desire to say something. And you alluded to that before, Zachy. That I mean, this movie does have a consciousness to it that is uncommon, uh, especially nowadays with a lot of movies that have this kind of scale. Uh, I mean, the only one that I think probably outstrips it is 2001, but that's good company to be in when it comes to straight science fiction. And I know that uh, our, our friend Kyle Sullivan from Trexpertise, this is his favorite Star Trek movie. And um, and I, a younger me might have bristled at that idea a little bit. But what I love about Star Trek, the motion picture at the end of the day is how stealthily, incredibly optimistic it is, especially at the end of it where it literally tells the audience at the very end that the human adventure is just beginning. And what is really more Star Trek than that idea? And watching the movie in the theater, that just really hit me much harder than I was expecting it to, because of course I knew it was coming. But when all of that stuff actually went down on the screen, it hit me at the right moment. Uh, what What do you take away, Zachy, when... You, you've seen this movie countless numbers of times over the course of your life. And, you know, you're, you're in the theater with this unobstructed and uninterrupted appreciation of the, of the film as it's playing out in front of you, especially as someone who's conscious of the message and, uh, and the tone that the movie conveys, at least at the very end. How does that land with you? Uh, it, it obviously, you know, being 40, it, uh, it plays in a, in a different way, uh, in a more profound way, you know, now than, than it, than it would have throughout my life. But I mean, it's, it's, I guess I have the, the luxury of having continually experienced this film at pretty much every stage of my life. Right. Um, and it, you know, I mentioned earlier how like my favorite part is when you've got, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and they're just they're they're doing their the the trifecta thing where they're figuring out what needs to happen at the very end, you know. And at that moment in the theater, these people sitting next to me, I don't know what the hell was happening with their phone, but it's just like making oh, noise and talking no. and doing all kinds of stuff. I wanted to drop kick both of these people into the <laughs> sun. I was so mad at them because I was like waiting. For sure. two plus hours for that scene, which I love, you know. I'm about to go to warp but, inside I mean, <laughs> a solar system, you bastard. Um, but but no, I mean the to to me, you know, it's the 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 inherent message, right? Which is logic is not enough. I mean, it's it's such a simple thing, but it it played very differently now, you know, where because. Because obviously, the older you get, the more you realize, like you know, the 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 joy in life, a truly centered life, comes from embracing right. uh, both logic and emotion. And that sounds like stupidly naive, me saying it this way, but I mean, you know, that's that you have an appreciation for that as you get older, right? Mm-hmm. And and so when we when we look at Spock's journey canonically, you realize what a key role this film has right because this is the film where spock makes the the realization right so in other words um it's it's it set the the direction for for spock for the rest of his life yeah um i mean obviously he kind of his compass gets reset after number three or whatever but by the time we get to movie six he's right back to where he is at the end of this which is serenity yeah Yeah. you know balance yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Cicero, the the message of the movie did did it land in its intended spot for you, or uh, did you find yourself maybe still kind of put off a little bit by uh, your erotic <laughs> <Right>. constitution <laughs> class? I, you know, I I definitely met the ending with a little bit of cynicism, but I, but uh, upon reflection on the film, like I really tried to take. Uh, some time to think about what the film set out to do and then what the film must have meant in 1979 for Star Trek, you know, for Star Trek fans um, that had been waiting the better part of a decade and a half 
to see uh, this show return in a, in a real way. Um, as as Zachy said, um, as you've said already, Chris, th- this film or Wrath of Khan and all of the the films that that precede it. Uh, would not have happened if if this film or not would not have happened in the way that they were able to happen if this film uh did did not take place and and you know and I understand um I understand the more modern fan the more modern star Star Trek fan who has a, a level of disdain or or a kind of a dismissive uh dismissive tone. Um, towards this film because it is tonally very, very different from all the films that, that precede it. Um, but as, as you said, Chris, it's very much like 2001. It is very much an opus. It is, you know, it is very much a, a film mm-hmm. about um, grandeur and 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 being spectacular but then also uh, you know living up to Gene Roddenberry's vision of what Star Trek could have been it's the very best of who we can be as people um you know in 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 so much that everything like the villain is us but we can change that if we just embrace who we are um, and embrace all all sides of ourselves, um, but and I think it was important for them to kind of get that opus out of the way to show that they can make Star Trek on a grand scale. And then I think every film that that preceded it, including the the TNG films, um, were eight were given the space to basically be big budget longer versions of episodes um then you know where we where the the protagonist and the antagonist were characters that we were familiar with from the television series that the show was based on um and just basically bigger better versions of episodes of the TV and I I don't think any of that stuff would have been possible if this opus of a film of a motion picture um didn't come out and wasn't as successful in accomplishing his mission as it was you know um in in kind of winding this this discussion down because unfortunately we're we're running a little over the allotted time that we have, but some of my feelings, especially on re-review of Star Trek, the motion picture are actually encapsulated of, by, of all entities, Q. Uh, Q gave uh, a, a pretty rousing speech to end the series finale of TNG uh, straight to Captain Picard's face. They're alone in the, in the courtroom. And I feel like in terms of the Star Trek film series, uh, Q's words are apt when he said, we wanted to see if you had the ability to expand your mind and your horizons. And for one brief moment, you did. For that one fraction of a second, you were open to options you had never considered. That is the exploration that awaits you, not mapping stars and studying nebulae, but charting the unknown possibilities of existence. And for all of the faults that do exist, I totally agree with the the statements that have been thrown around concerning those. Star Trek The Motion Picture, at least in my mind, feels the least, and this might not be the right word, the least terrestrial of every Star Trek movie. Oh. It feels the least bound by the rules that govern the world in which we live, and it feels like it is stretching into that unknown that that is conjured by saying the phrase the final frontier and that's why i really admire this movie i it's not my favorite star trek movie don't get me wrong but the scope is still so impressive and seeing it on the big screen it has aged remarkably well in in terms of its visual effects that was something that honestly really surprised me still could do with a new coat of paint and there are rumors that are that are going around that it could be getting a new uh, 4K scan 
in the near future, including the director's edition, which is weirdly only mastered in, in standard definition resolutions. They need to change that. But um, considering the, the levels that this movie reaches, I think it's a, a hell of an example of um, a, a generally very commercial franchise, commercially successful franchise like Star Trek going all in on its concept. And that's one of the reasons I really admire it. But uh, Zachy, what are your final thoughts in, in briefly revisiting Star Trek, the motion picture and seeing it on the big screen for the first time? How does it leave you right now? Uh, optimistic about there the human go. adventure. Beautiful. What more could you ask for? Uh, <laughs> Cicero, as someone who has absorbed this movie relatively recently, uh, and you're now able to tie those threads from five-year-old Cicero into the, the full experience of the movie. What are your just basic uh, thoughts on Star Trek? I, I am incredibly in awe of the creators of this film in their ability to be bold – um, to to think uh, in 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 a way that was uh, just allowing themselves to really dream and believe and uh, believe in themselves and believe in humanity uh, and and really created something beautiful. Very well said. Well, maybe we'll have to go a little bit deeper into Star Trek, the motion picture. Maybe we'll have to follow Zachy's lead at some point. Zachy, I don't know how willing you would be to sit in on 12 more movie commentaries, but that might be something that we have to think about if you're hey, I'm all about all, all, the, all the better then. Well, uh, so – I yeah. think we all like this movie. That's a good thing. And um, and of course, the the venerable Mrs. Rachel Baker Clow could not be here tonight. Very unfortunate. It's been a sausage fest the whole time. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. But, uh, but she enjoyed the movie too, uh, seeing it on the big screen. But uh, I'll let her speak for herself the next time that she's on with us. But as for right now, that is going to do it for episode number 46 of Discovery Debrief. We're getting really close to 50, you guys. Yeah. It's crazy. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels, and if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute, and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles, and feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook-like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us as we convene next time to discuss the increasingly bright future of those bold adventures into the final frontier. We might have to get together after New York Comic Con because it sounds like there's going to be a lot of Star Trek news, but don't know that for sure, but might be a good uh, occasion. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. 